Welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast, where we present sound doctrine in plain language. We're here to help you better understand, articulate, and live out the fullness of the Christian faith. And now, here's your host, Clay Craby. All right, well, welcome to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. I'm your host, Clay Craby. And today we're joined for a discussion on systematic theology by Dr. Scott Swain. Dr. Swain is the president of Reformed Theological Seminaries Orlando campus and also a professor of systematic theology. So Dr. Swain, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Clay. Appreciate you joining us. Real quick, could you introduce a little bit about yourself and your role at the seminary? Sure. Yeah, I, um, I'm the president of the Orlando campus, which means... I oversee faculty and staff, development work here, but I also teach systematic theology, which is really what I love to do. What is systematic theology? How does that differ than just studying your Bible? Different ways we could think about systematic theology, but one way I like to describe it as God-centered biblical interpretation. So uh, anytime you think of a system, you think of various parts that are related to each other, by some kind of organizing principle. And systematic theology, especially in the Reformed tradition, has been an attempt to understand biblical teaching and, and how to understand the various doctrines of Scripture and specifically how they relate to God. Uh, Paul, at the conclusion of Romans 11, says, Of him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. And that really is the perspective of systematic theology. How does creation relate to God's being and attributes? How does providence relate to God, his being and attributes, and so forth? Secondarily, it considers the relationship of various doctrines to each other. So while uh, we want to be attentive to what the Bible says about salvation and what the Bible says about good works, it's also important to understand the relationship between those two doctrines, because if we put Good works before salvation will have a misunderstanding of salvation. But if we understand that good works flow out of salvation, then we've got a right understanding. So systematic theology is concerned with understanding what the Bible teaches about everything it teaches about, but with a focus on seeing how all of its teaching relates to God, and then secondarily how various doctrines relate to each other as well. So would it be fair to say that if we're talking uh, a study of something systematically through scripture rather than you know let's hop into the book of romans and study this you know chapter one you might take a topic or a subject like what is grace or heaven something like that and study that and see what all of scripture has to say about that are we doing systematic theology when we're doing something like that uh, yeah, more or less, and we, we could do it in less formalized way, more formalized ways. But yeah, anytime you're asking what the whole counsel of God says on a topic, you've already started to do systematic theology. Now, I would say systematic theology also includes perhaps a, a desire to pay attention to what the church has confessed on the basis of Scripture as well. So there is uh, an attention to the history of creeds and confessions and what other theologians have said. But even then, it's always with the aim of understanding better what the whole Bible says um, on any given topic. In different conversations, we've, we've all probably encountered people that seem to kind of throw their hands up, and as soon as the word theology, much less systematic theology, is tossed out, they kind of just want to say, hey, I don't, I don't need that, I don't want to study doctrine, just give me Jesus. 
Why is that a faulty idea? And, and what would your response to be an at, to an attitude like that? Well, I mean, I think the the short response would be saying I don't need doctrine, just give me Jesus, is like saying I don't need to know anything about my wife, just give me my wife. It's it's kind of a self refuting thing. I I can't relate to my wife without knowing things about her, without knowing what she cares about, without knowing something of her history. And same for her relating to me. And I think it's even more true when it comes to our relationship with Christ. You think of even some of the briefest statements related to Jesus in the Bible. At the end of the Gospel of John, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. Well, that that's a statement about Jesus. He is the Christ. He's the Messiah. We can't believe in Jesus without knowing something about him. Um, it, it says something about why he came to give us life in his name. And so even the most basic um, relationship with Jesus, the most basic faith in Jesus, always involves some kind of knowledge of him. And, and, then, and so anytime we start talking about our knowledge of God, as according to the Bible, we're talking about theology. So I think there might be two camps of people that kind of, do a little bit pushback on any theological study. There's the one camp that seems to have, like you point out, a misunderstanding of what it is we're doing. It's not detracting from getting to know Jesus. It it really enriches that. What would you say to someone that just doesn't feel qualified? They don't feel capable, able, they don't know where to start. What would you say to those that maybe just need a little bit of encouragement to, to have some more focused theological study in their walk? first thing I would say is, in a most fundamental sense, all the Bible is, is a theological book. It begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and it concludes with God, with him dwelling on a new heavens and the earth with his people. And so anytime we're studying the Bible, we're already engaging in theology. And so the question is really, are we doing it well or are we doing it poorly? And I think that to the extent that we know Christ and want to know him more, then we should want to learn more theology. And that doesn't mean we have to, to go to school. It doesn't mean we have to get into advanced degree programs. Uh, theology, is its, its native habitat is first scripture, but secondarily, it's the church. And any, any context of the church where scripture is being taught faithfully. And so, we're really already doing theology anytime we're we're dealing with the Bible. Question is are we doing it well or not? You mentioned how when we're doing systematic theology, we're not only, you know, just have an open Bible in front of us, but we're also paying attention to what the church has taught historically on various topics. What can a Christian do to familiarize themselves with either some theologians of the past or some creeds or confessional statements? Where do you think someone should start to kind of familiarize themselves with the richness that we have in the history of the church? Yeah, that's a great question. So Augustine, who is a 4th, 5th century bishop, very influential in the history of theology, uh, once received a letter from someone who had been very active in evangelism, had been very active in discipleship, and this person wanted to know, you know, what do I need to be teaching people that I'm leading to Christ, that I'm trying to disciple in terms of the knowledge of God? And Augustine wrote back, 
uh, a little book that he called a little handbook. And he basically said there are three things every Christian needs to know that encapsulate really as a summary the entirety of, of biblical teaching. He said the first thing is the Apostles' Creed. That summarizes what we're to believe about God, the, our triune God, who is our creator, who is our redeemer, and who one day has promised to bring a new heavens and new earth. He said the second thing all Christians need to know is the Ten Commandments, which summarize our love of God and our love of neighbor. And then the third thing he said we need to know is what we should hope for. And he said this is summarized in the Lord's Prayer. Well, a lot of theologians have taken those three kind of summary documents. So the the Apostles' Creed, which summarizes what we're to believe, the Ten Commandments, which summarize our love of God and neighbor, and then the the, uh, Lord's Prayer, which summarizes the things we're to hope for and to seek. And they've written um, various kinds of catechisms and commentaries, and these provide really good introductions uh, to theology not only to give us a better understanding of what the Bible as a whole teaches, but they but they help us to appreciate some of the important distinctions of theology. So one of my favorite examples of, of this kind of literature is Martin Luther, the great reformer from the 16th century. He wrote a small catechism and a large catechism. And both of these are structured as expositions of the Apostles' Creed, the Tenth Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer. Many churches have kind of official catechisms that also have brief questions and answers that deal with the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer. So you think of the Heidelberg Catechism is a very important catechism that Reformed churches have um, adopted as kind of official ecclesiastical statements. Uh, but, But these kinds of catechisms exist across various denominations. And so I, I think for someone who's wanting to begin in the study of theology, those are great places to start. Um, beyond that, there are any number of, of wonderful works out there that that can help Christians get a solid theological foundation. Uh, works by church fathers like Athanasius on the Incarnation. Work by Augustine called the Confessions, which is really... A, a book where he, the entire book is a prayer where he is really recalling God's own work of grace in his life. But it's it's packed full of theology, but all in the context of prayer. Uh, many of Anselm's works are also uh, rich theological works, but written in the context of prayer to God. Uh, I mentioned Martin Luther's large and small catechisms. Um, but think of another reformer, John Calvin. He wrote a book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, which is a very popular theological textbook. I might mention that there's a a short excerpt of The Institutes that's become available in recent years from Reformation Trust, and it comes under the title A Little Book on the Christian Life. And so that gives Calvin's kind of theological summary of, of the Christian life. It's a little book on discipleship, if you will, but written from a robust theological perspective. All of these works are are really wonderful introductions to theology. Some of them are more um, challenging than others, but um, all repay careful study. 
That's great. And of course, we'll have links to those different resources Dr. Swain has mentioned in the show notes uh, for this episode, which will be at reasonabletheology.org slash episode seven. And you can check some of those out. What would your advice be to maybe a new Christian or perhaps just a Christian who hasn't put a lot of intentional study into theology? Where should they start? I mean, there's lots of great resources that you mentioned. Where would be a good starting point for someone? couple of resources that, that I think are very good introductions um, to theology. Uh, one is by Michael Horton. It's called Pilgrim Theology. Dr. Horton has written a number of different systematic theology works, but this is one of his most introductory, um, and it's, it's structured in a very helpful way by looking at various doctrines within the context of the unfolding drama of salvation. Another work which is to be highly commended is a work by Chad Van Dixhorn uh, called Confessing the Faith. And this is a commentary more or less on the Westminster Confession of Faith where Dr. Van Dixhorn gives a very pastoral, uh, biblically rich um, summary of the main headings of doctrine as expounded by the Westminster Confession of Faith. Both of those works are written um, at an introductory level and um, I think are very helpful. If you enjoy the sermons and written works of C.H. Spurgeon, I encourage you to check out the all-new chspurgeon.com. Here you'll find free, unabridged sermon audio delivered with the dynamic of live preaching, articles written by and about the Prince of Preachers, a chronological bibliography of all his books, and much more. This will be a growing library of Spurgeon-related resources to help you in your walk with the Lord. So check it out at chspurgeon.com. Is there a, a right way and a wrong way to do systematic theology? Are there any guardrails that people need to keep in place as they're maybe jumping both feet in, you know, to the deep end of the pool here, and they're excited about studying theology? Anything that they should know before they just kind of jump in and start running? Certainly. I mean, I think the, the first thing, if if the Bible is our foundation for theology, then we need to have some sense of how the Bible can function as our critical norm in theology. How how do we let the Bible really control our, our thinking on any theological topic? And a few thoughts there. First, we want to make sure on any topic we're studying, we're listening to the whole counsel of God. So we don't want to read verses in isolation. We want to read them within the context, not only of the immediate book, uh, where they where they are published, but also within the context of the entire canon of Christian scripture. Um, a lot of times folks get in trouble when they just seize on one passage of scripture and and think it says something and, and don't consider what the rest of scripture teaches. That's, that's, that's a way we can get into really big errors in theology. Uh, another reminder, another guardrail is to remember that scripture interprets scripture. So when we run across a passage that might be a little bit confusing, it's it's helpful to remember that clearer passages of, of Scripture are there to illumine more difficult passages of Scripture. And we really don't want to build any doctrine on a difficult passage that we're not sure we even have the right understanding of. We want to, to build it on clearer passage. 
Augustine makes this point in the little handbook I mentioned earlier where he says, the Apostles' Creed is drawn from clear passages of Scripture, this fundamental summary of the faith. It's not drawn from the, the, the more challenging, more perhaps even obscure uh, places in the Bible. A few other guidelines, too. In addition to paying attention to the whole counsel of God, in addition to remembering that clear passage of Scripture can illumine more difficult passages of Scripture, um, a solid understanding of creeds and confessions of the church are important to, for uh, doing systematic theology. Why is that? Well, it's not because uh, the church's creeds and confessions have more authority than the Bible, but Really, it's the opposite reason. It's because the church's creeds and confessions are attempts by the whole church to say that after patient study and and um, prayerful attention to the Bible, these are the things that we think are, are the most important parts of Scripture. These are things we think all Christians should know and trust. And so knowing what the church has said on the basis of Scripture, it helps us to, to better understand Scripture as well. Last thoughts on this. We need to remember that theology is, is really never to be an isolated enterprise. Uh, it's something that we are to study with all the saints. And so as we seek to understand God's Word better, we want to be checking our own interpretations over against what other uh, saints have said and, and certainly uh, what pastors and other trusted teachers say. And then finally, uh, the study of theology takes humility and meekness and a teachable spirit. Augustine, in in talking about the various attitudes and virtues that are necessary for being a good student of the Bible, he says the first one is the fear of the Lord, and, and that shouldn't surprise us because the proverb says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But after that, he says gentleness or meekness is the, the next important, most important attitude. Now, it's interesting that he says this because gentleness or meekness is the kind of quality of spirit that has to do with our own temperance of our tendencies toward anger. You think, well, why does the ability to kind of temper your anger, why is that important in studying the Bible? Augustine gives two reasons. He says, First of all, Scripture will often teach things that we find hard to understand, and we might be offended that we can't understand it. We might become angry about that, and we might therefore not want to take the time to understand it, or we might even worse, we might say, well, that can't be what God is saying. So we need to be able to to temper our anger in that sense. But it's another reason is Scripture is oftentimes going to challenge us, and it's oftentimes going to point out our sins, not only sinful actions, but sinful attitudes, sinful beliefs. And again, if we're defensive, if we have a, a kind of a quick-to-anger um, attitude, then again, we won't be able to receive Scripture's correction. And so there, there is really a sense in which cultivating the right spirit is essential to the study of theology as well. A, a reverence, a fear of the Lord, but also a humility and a meekness, a, a teachable spirit that's willing to receive what the Bible says, even when, when, it, when it transcends our understanding, even when it challenges us and, and wants to correct us. Someone who's got an interest in this, but for whatever reason, isn't likely to be able to maybe sit in a formal seminary classroom setting. 
Any resources come to mind as uh, for them to benefit from maybe some more in-depth instruction in systematic theology? Yeah, sure. A uh, great resource that has been available for decades now is Table Talk, uh, a monthly magazine pamphlet produced by Ligonier Ministries. This is available both in print and in online versions, and it's often um, kind of chock full of rich theological treatments of themes, but written for the, really for all Christians, um, not just for those who have maybe seminary or advanced training. As far as internet resources, uh, my colleague here, Dr. Michael Allen, and I for a while had a blog called Commonplaces on the Zondervan website, and this was a, a blog that was devoted exclusively to systematic theology. Um, we, we're no longer producing it, but all of the, the articles that we produced uh, over the couple of years that we were doing it are still available on the Zondervan website. And so um, it has different series related to the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, different uh, recommendations for, for book resources to read. This might be a helpful online resource. And then the last uh, resource I'll mention is um, the Gospel Coalition over the last few years has been producing various courses, many of which have um, both video components, video lectures, uh, but also recommended readings for them. And they recently uh, produced a course that, that I taught called Basics of Systematic Theology. And this is a, an introduction to systematic theology designed for interested lay people, um, and that might be a helpful resource as well. Wonderful. And I'll, I'll just take a moment, too, to commend Forum Theological Seminary's app, RTS Mobile. Lots of free, uh, full-length seminary courses for some of the, the best instructors and teachers out there, so be sure to check that out, and we'll, we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Absolutely. That's a great resource. Well, we've got, we've got all the easy questions out of the way. And so we can close with the the important stuff. Can J.J. Abrams write the ship and save Episode Nine after the travesty that was The Last Jedi? What's your take? This is really the question of the hour, it really isn't it? It is. <laughs> you know, apart from scrolling the beginning of Episode Nine with It Was All a Dream, um, <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know, Clay. I gotta defer to your expertise there. Do you do you have faith in JJ? I I do. I, I picture it as JJ uh, Abrams has an older brother who, as soon as he left the room, his older brother Ryan Johnson came in and broke all his Star Wars toys, <laughs> and now JJ Abrams has got to come in and set everything back up. So uh, hopefully he can pull it off. We'll have to see what happens. Well, I I remain hopeful. Amen. So our uh, guest today has been Dr. Scott Swain, who again is the president of Reformed Theological Seminary's Orlando campus. Uh, he is an author and editor of several books, to which we'll link in the show notes. He's also a professor of systematic theology at RTS Orlando. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Clay. Great to chat. Thanks for listening to the Reasonable Theology Podcast. Be sure to visit ReasonableTheology.org for more helpful resources on understanding, articulating, and living out the Christian faith. 
In addition to the show notes for this episode, you'll find articles, videos, book reviews, and much more. That's reasonabletheology.org. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the Reasonable Theology podcast, go to reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe and get the weekly email. Each week I send out the latest article or podcast episode, and each email also includes a helpful definition to expand your theological vocabulary, a beautiful painting depicting a scene from scripture or church history, a musical selection to enrich your day, as well as the best book deal I've found that week to add trusted resources to your library. Try it out at reasonabletheology.org slash subscribe.